Ladies and gentlemen, Peter Lawford. I want to tell you about two amazing women. As a matter of fact, I think they may be the most unusual women you or I have ever met. One of them is a distinguished mistress of a great house, a familiar figure to readers of society pages, at home in a world of great wealth where a butler is always waiting within call and a chauffeur waits at the door. The other, by contrast, is the owner, manager, hostess, and principal personality of Edie's Cocktail Bar. In other words, a saloon in what might be described kindly as a less fashionable section of the city. These two widely separated women share some intimate and amazing secrets. These secrets, I suggest, will keep you fascinated right up to the end of our new picture, Dead Ringer. One secret I will tell you right now, both these women are played by Betty Davis. Welcome, everyone, to The Wage of Cinema. I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. And, uh, yeah, we have a new segment for you. All right. Let's take you back two years. We started this podcast. We had the list where Jack and I watched movies that we gave each other that we hadn't seen before. Right. Fast forward to 2016. We had the Cinema Immersion Tank where we watched a movie five days in a row and we talked to you about it. Yes. Because we're great. We we like to try to give ourselves some gimmicky challenges. Yes. Which may or may not be harmful to our health. And, and in the spirit of that... We are giving you a new segment, which Jack came up for a title with. It's called What, Jack? What the devil is that? What the devil is that? Where this one took some effort, but with the assistance of Jack's wife and research assistant, Corey. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, the wonderful Dr. Hughes. We are trying to find films that we have never heard of. Yes, it's not, this is, this, it's not simply that we haven't seen the movie. It's that we have never heard of it. Without even the title. Yes. Now, now this is tough. This is why we had to bring in a third party, because if we look for films we haven't heard of, by finding them, we will have heard of them. Yes, exactly. It's 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 the same type of thing where, you know, if you're a treasure hunter, like if we're if we're Indiana Jones, it's not as much fun if somebody tells us, oh, hey, here's the uh, Ark of the Covenant. Not holds- fun at all. No, it's like we have to go find it. Right. And then watch it for ourselves, or, or find it and then... Corey, I guess you could say, is our Alfred Molina. Okay. I guess who's kind of leading us along. No, not really. Is that a good analogy? No. She's more like our uh, our, our Sala? Yeah, actually, that's not bad. Good uh, enough. Good enough. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, we do have a few little stipulations, a little, a couple ground rules with this, uh, other because... If we did, because if we didn't lay down a few ground rules, then we could open ourselves up to a whole ocean of crap. Yeah. Because you know there are movies that we haven't heard of, which are you know direct to DVD movies and things like from the Asylum, which you know they're barely movies. We're not going to fill this segment with Asylum movies. No. (laughs) No. So anyway, so we have to be a film that had a theatrical release. That's the main one. It has to. Uh, have some sort of mark of quality. It, well, that's yeah. It has to have some type of quality. Like it can't be just some piece of shit that like we that got released in like a couple of grindhouse theaters it can't like nineteen seventy two last season. Mm, interesting point. Which, so it can't be a movie that was a scam. No, <laughs> uh, it has to have either have had a star in it, or it has to have been done by a certain by a well, uh, a reasonably known director, or written by somebody. It needs to have some. Well, by that quality, 
it needs to let me put it this way it needs to have had some kind of budget it has some claim to fame hmm yeah that, that's a good way of putting it all right and the film we've got uh tonight was provided us generously by uh cory yeah she had watched this actually when she was a kid and i had never heard of this even though the title is is very similar to a movie that i have seen and it's the film dead ringer yeah now this is not to be confused with dead ringers which is uh the movie where uh you get like uh irons well damn it you really damn i was about to make a joke where like that's the movie where like you get like eight identical twins who are marines and they go off to uh, a planet to fight uh the aliens that have uh, never mind i was trying because dead ringers ringer all right i i I screwed it up sorry this movie is from the 60s and directed by paul henry now for those of you who don't know who that is um i got one word for you uh casablanca well damn i was trying to make that clever that sounded uh yeah the movie casablanca Paul Henreid was Victor Laszlo. Right. Uh, he was yeah. in a bunch of other things, too. Oh, he was in a lot of things. He also directed a lot, which I didn't know. He directed, like, about 20 episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Oh. So, yeah, if you, any, by chance, you've probably seen something Paul Henry's directed if you've just happened to tune into Alfred Hitchcock Presents. He helmed a lot of episodes of that. Um, he helmed a lot of TV he only helmed outside of Dead Ringer just a few, like super low budget films. He made a movie with, with, that starred Ray Charles. Cool. Of all things, it was like I looked this up. This movie called Ballad in Blue, and it's a movie where Ray Charles helps a down on their luck boozing family whose son is blind. Okay. Yeah. So why not? But but that, but, but the point is, yeah, Paul Henry. He's known for Casablanca. He's. Uh, also the co-star of one of my mom's favorite movies, uh, Now Voyager. Right. Um, Which he starred in with whom? Uh, Betty Davis. Who is the star of this film? Yes, and here you get and two... And it's not just Betty Davis. It's Betty Davis and Betty Davis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the funny thing is, this is not the first time she's played twins. Really? Yes. She did this before. Like, there were two... Betty Davis identical twins movies. What there was know? there was another Betty Davis movie from the 1940s. I'm looking this up now just so I don't, I don't get the title mixed up. Called A Stolen Life, where she also played identical twin sisters, uh, Kate Bosworth and Patricia Bosworth. Um, it's weird because I thought Kate Bosworth's an actress, but but anyway, yeah, that was a real movie where. Um, it's Betty Davis in her greatest of all her triumphs. That was the original ad for that movie. Cool. Um, and that was a little bit more of a drama. This is Betty Davis post whatever happened to Baby Jane. Yeah. So, which is what makes it kind of interesting. She's older. Like, she was, uh, by this point, she was in, I guess, her, I think she was in her 50s. Right. And, uh,. Uh, do you want to maybe say a little bit about what the story is? Okay, so the story is this. Betty Davis plays... Uh, first, she plays Edith, uh, the owner of this cocktail bar. And she also plays her twin, whose name is... Hold on. Margaret. Yes. And uh, her, and Margaret is, uh, has married Rich. Her husband has just died. So when the movie starts, they are both at the funeral. 
And we yeah. find out that Margaret stole uh, stole her husband, got married her husband, basically stole her from Edith, and so they hate each other. And yeah, Edith is kind of down on her luck because she has this crappy cocktail bar. And she's also a a, a big liar because like she she claims that she married the guy because she had a kid, which also didn't happen. Right, and eventually, uh, Edith plots to kill her twin and basically replace her. Yeah. <laughs> So I think we're, it's safe to say there's going to be spoilers uh, all the way through this. Mm. So if you don't feel so if you want feel like you should check this out and it will be worth your time. It, it's a, let me put it this way for those of you who just want to know whether it's worth checking out. It's a fun movie. It, it's not any kind of great essential piece fun. of viewing. Yeah, it's not like up to all about Eve or uh, that that type of standard of filmmaking. But, but it is pretty decent, and we're going to explain why. Yeah. Sure. So, your impressions of this. What what sticks out in your mind about this film? Um, what sticks out is the attitudes that characters keep having to... Um, now, so Edith is the one who runs the cocktail lounge and then takes over the rich Edith the is our main character. How... People are looking at Edith as Margaret throughout the movie and kind of judging her. And and it's just like the sort of... Um, I'm not going to say it doesn't have the sharpness of like a, a what I'm about to compare it to. It doesn't have the sharpness of like a Buñuel type of satire <laughs> of the rich. But there is an interesting look about how the rich look at people and yeah. how Edith is trying to fill this role. And like it's a little bit awkward. And, yeah, uh, it's, it's very awkward, first of all, because she is posing as a dead person she basically knows nothing about. Yeah. They, the twins have been estranged for decades. Mm -hmm. One, they, you could probably say they, you know, they haven't seen each other in 20 years. So Margaret has grown up, as Margaret has lived this social life with all of her rich friends. Mm -hmm. And then Edith comes in, gets rid of Margaret, and has to fill that role, and she has no idea how to do it. Edith is more of a street smart person. Yeah. And she, you know, she does. It's not like she doesn't know anything about being rich. She doesn't know anything about Margaret's life. Yeah, it's a lot of this movie. The way that my impression of this, it's very potboilery. It, it feels like this could have been like a paperback book or something. Well, certainly. Uh, by that I mean, I don't mean that in a sort of bad way. It's just a very pulpy type of story and how it's kind of presented. Like, even though it's it has the it has people like Betty Davis and. Uh, Carl Malden is this detective uh, who had a relationship with Edith, and yeah. then when this transference, uh, then when she transfers into being Margaret, it uh, when he discovers that you know because Edith dies, and you know then his sister, you know he's posing as his sister. I that that also is he he does a great job in this movie. Yeah, it but everything there's a slightly tawdriness to the film, which I found interesting. And the thing that I found, if that makes sense, the, I, the thing I find strange about this is that at the beginning, this doesn't f f seem like it's going to be anything special. Mm. Uh, the it gets kind of awkward when you have to have Betty Davis acting against herself. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It's odd to see to see that. I mean, she does fine as both sisters. Well, they're essentially the same person. 
Well, yeah. Well, not really because no. they, they do have different attitudes. That that's not fair. What I, the problem is is that you know clearly we know there's only one Betty Davis. Yeah. That she's playing both roles, mm-hmm. and all the shots are basically just of one of them when it's yeah. both in the frame. One of them is wearing this heavy funeral veil. Yeah, which... that was a little odd little moment where like she she uh, she she kills uh, her sister. And um, and somehow nobody hears it just because oh the There's the a band going on yeah well barely a band it's like a keyboardist and a drummer and somehow yeah. that 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 clouds away all the sound of like a gunshot but yeah. all right all right fine but that, that but then but then she's walking out through the bar in like the veil and everybody's looking at her like what the what the hell is that like yeah and it's also useful in the funeral scene when they're both together in the frame. It's a little cheat. The well, they have a little cheats. They do show them together in a couple of shots. But they, but the the shots are set up so that one is in the extreme background, yes. and one is in the extreme foreground. Yeah, you know, clearly composited shots. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because we know obviously it has to be a composite shot because they're both in the in the thing. But it's like they have very little relationship to each other. And when when they're speaking to each other, it's. Yes. Not like a conversation. It's like no. someone speaking their lines to someone off camera. Yeah, yeah. It's that type of thing where, again, this is the 60s where like, they, they could try to do some tricks like that. But, no, I mean, to be fair, they don't do that through the whole movie. I think they knew that if they did that the entire time, it would get gimmicky as no. hell. And then it gets much interesting when one of them is eliminated and you don't have to have two. Uh, no, then two it's just... But then it's, it, but then it's interesting because then... It's her playing her sister, so you are kind of seeing like the two Betty Davis characters, or her trying you to are, be. You are, but she has people to act off of. She her, she has people to act she, off she of. Doesn't, she doesn't have to record lines that then she, that she is later going to respond to. She is talking to people in the same frame. Yeah, and th- and it gets much better, and the dialogue gets better after that too because it feels very poorly written in the beginning. I love the way that Carl Malden looks when. Uh, Again, when 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 the Edith shows up as Margaret in like the police office, and yeah. he's just kind of staring at her. Yeah. Like, uh, no. Someone in that scene should have been like, "Cool it, guy." You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, but he's just like, yeah, he's looking at her like, not subtle at all. No, it's a little over the top. I but, remember, but it's Jim, fine. remember Jimmy Stewart in Vertigo. Yeah. Where he clearly thinks this woman looks like Madeline. Yeah. He's but he he plays it really cool. He doesn't have his eyes bugging out in his mouth. <laughs> and his mouth hanging open. I love uh, I love Carl Malden. Uh, he he uh, was not bad in this. Uh, no, he, that, he's fine. It's just that somebody clearly behind the camera said, said eyes wider. <laughs> eyes wider, mouth more agape. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, what, you know what's interesting, by the way? I just looked this up. The script for this movie... Sat on the shelf for twenty years, huh? It was written in the forties, and it, it sat on the shelf until nineteen sixty three. At what point do you go like, man, we're out of ideas? <laughs> let's Here, see let's, what's in the old closet. Let's pull out this like sorted twin killer movie, and let's see how that turns out. But for a sorted twin killing movie, it's not bad. No, it gets better as it goes along, especially when uh, like you. I'm not gonna say you necessarily feel bad for the sister, but you kind you understand everything that she's trying to do for herself. You you learn interesting things 
about what she's been doing. Yeah, about, about, about all these hidden, all these secrets. The fact that uh, also about the husband and how uh, Margaret was carrying on an affair with yeah. another guy. Uh, I think it's played by Peter Lawford. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not quite... He's been a lot of things. I, I, he's on the cover, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, so I... And then near the end, it gets really melodramatic in some ways. Like, there's this courtroom scene where it that just goes scene... full Dutch angles. Yeah. Like, uh... And, and, and what do you call it, where, like, you have one shot overlaid? Superimposed. Over yeah. Super... There's a superimposition where Betty Davis's face is there, and you're seeing, like, a montage of what's going oh. on in the courtroom. Yeah. And it's just so over the top. It's a little silly. At that point, the film was basically over. Yeah. I... Every every plot point had been addressed. I think that the idea was that maybe they wanted to try to make it so that well we could, we could just say that and then she got the chair, but this moment I guess they it, wanted it to make could, it. They could have had more. an ending like uh, the wrong man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good that's a good comparison. Or, but you know, it might have been better to have an ending like Dial M for Murder. Where it's just like, well, we figured it out. I'm obviously going to be executed, so let's not have <laughs> Yeah, the ending of Dial for Murder is just like, well, all right, I'm going to be executed. Rayland, right there, it's like, well, jigs up. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to spend the rest of my life screaming at bats. Right. Um. <laughs> I I still have not seen The Lost Weekend. Yeah. I, See, watching that movie, I didn't have, like, the hysterical reaction that the Welcome to the Basement guys had, where that that's become, like, their flagship scene. Like, anytime it's they want... Own, it's their own meme now. It's... Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but here's the thing. Okay. Uh, but... It, it gets a little excessive. They add that little bit on the end. It's kind of There a are some excessive moments. Uh, but the thing is... Is that it's you know it, who grounds it, it though Betty Davis? Yes, because after she gets rid of herself as a co-star, she gets to she gets in this real situation, and her character is really clever. And the thing is, there are, there are a lot of scenes which aren't they don't have dialogue. A lot right. of it's just watching Betty Davis by herself trying to figure things out for yeah, herself. Yeah, that that's what I, I I wrote that down. I was I I was thinking like Betty Davis, she's really good when she's thinking. Yes. She's, like, because she has to impersonate uh, Margaret, uh, her dead sister. Uh, But ultimately, there are only things that Margaret knows that she can't fake. Yeah, like... The first thing is, like, she has to to open up a safe. Yeah. Which... And luckily, that that, code's written down somewhere. Yeah, but but she has the intelligence to say, okay, there's got to be written down somewhere. She looks through all Margaret's stuff, and she finally finds a book. You know, that problem solved. It's actually kind of thrown away a little bit yeah. as a plot point. It's like they introduce that problem and it gets solved five minutes later. The movie is, on the surface, it's this kind of slightly sordid thriller that has a lot of twists and turns. Yeah. But it's act- but it is about something. And it's about and get- getting in over your head. Yeah. Because the whole reason Edith is doing this is so is because... She doesn't have money. She can't pay the rent for her her bar. Basically, after this, where is she going to go? Yeah. And so you kill the miserable, terrible twin that you have who has a lot of money, who married the man that you loved, and everything seems even. Yeah. But no, it doesn't stop there. 
Yeah, come, and, come, and to think of, come to think of it, Louis Bunuel would have been a good director for this movie. He might have, yes. <laughs> like, it would have been a much lighter plot. <laughs> yes. But, it's, but it would have been a little weirder. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is like the type of melodrama that he used to make like in Mexico yeah. or something like that. This is this is totally up his alley. Yeah. He just changed the location like to France It's It's Louis something. Bunuel light. Yeah. <laughs> if that's a way to describe it. No, no. It's like, it. this is normal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Louis Bunuel takes it and then it corkscrews in different directions. Yes, exactly. But uh, th- but it's not just like there's the safe problem that gets solved pretty quickly. I'm th- I think they should have held that for a little longer. Yeah. Uh, but then yeah, there comes, wasn't much suspense with. But that. then it comes the pro the, it comes the problem of ha- I have to sign these documents. I obviously do not have my sister's signature. Yes. So how does she solve that problem? Hmm. And that's actually pretty clever too, the way she does it. Yeah, and it kind of gets resolved quickly. But you see that she is reaching these successfully, these successively higher and higher hurdles. Yeah, and then she gets to the one hurdle that she can't jump. Without the murder, this could have been like a comedy. Yes, <laughs> this almost has the layout of a comedy, except it that been, it could have ex- been. A, it could have been a black comedy with murder. Yeah. Uh, it uh, it would have been a, l- a lot more British, I think, but it would have, it would still it's possible. Yeah, Man, sure. There are lots of w- different ways this plot could go. Yeah. Um, also, I'll, I'll just point out it has a one of the things that contributes to the slightly over dramatic tone is uh, there's a score by Andre Previn. Yeah, I I know some of his work. Yeah. Uh, I've I've actually only heard very little of it because he also did a collection of Christmas music. Huh. And it's very, and it's the same sort of hallmarks as this orchestral and agent with harpsichord. Do you know what movie he was involved with? What? Paint Your Wagon. What? <laughs> Additional music by credit, I should nice. say. Um, he's Wherever a, you see you Andre know, Previn, there's a harpsichord. The the, in there. the interesting thing with that is, I just recently watched uh, a couple of films that he was involved with because he, because uh, um, I, I think on the show last time I talked about. Uh, Billy Wilder movies I watched. Yeah. Uh, um, what was it? Irma LaDuce and uh, The Fortune Cookie, and he scored those movies. Huh. It has that same type of bounciness. Yeah. Um, and and the, the somewhat campy sort of ding, 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 dee, dee, dee. Oh, that felt very 60s. Yeah. That kind of dated it a lot. <laughs> like, yeah, that... Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> it's not a keyboard. It's, it's a harpsichord. It's, yeah, harpsichord. Exactly. I like the harpsichord. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> there are points where it feels kind of like she's in an old spooky house sometimes. Yeah. Um... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was I was really interested in this film like the third act ends when when Mar- when Margaret gets murdered and and uh, e- Edith tries to take her place. Yeah. And I was thinking, okay, how can you if if this is going to be a lackluster film, then we're not going to get many surprises. Okay. So I was thinking, well, okay, let's let's think of a twist that could, would really make this really stand out. And so you have it has to be like Margaret has to have like this really weird life, where it's like either she is working for the FBI to set up drug stings or something. <laughs> or she is like, uh, or, or she's in like a satanic cult or something. Yes. And things like that. And actually you do get that. Yeah. Something like that. There are no cults. There's no drug stings. Well, you're dealing with, well, you're dealing with the world of the rich. Yeah. Uh, the, the utter decadence and 
yeah free lives of of upper uh, of uh upper class people yeah that's why i which feel is like... why it's it, it, it would have suited buñuel so well yes exactly it, it it's poking fun at them like it, it it's not it's doing it through the plot yeah and that and that's actually pretty cool too some of her friends are just repulsive people <laughs> yes uh, but and then eventually you it saves its biggest surprise for the end yeah it, and it gets pretty and by then you're, you're pretty well wrapped up in that film I mean, she, yeah she meets her her lover tony uh-huh and she's just like thrown into a room with him and she has to act like she's been she's known him all her life and then you find out what she what margaret and tony have been up to yeah and it's like, oh, crap. yeah. Well, that's the big and twist. That, and that was, and you realize that was the, th- that was the current running under the entire film the whole time. Yeah. The, this this sort of, uh, you know, the, the, we didn't say it because you know, this is a spoiler. She, the, the, but the, she killed her husband. Margaret killed her husband. Yeah. With the help of her lover. Yeah, and, and it's again, it's the type of thing that she walked into, like the sister walked into that, not having any idea. And it totally screwed her over. Oh, it backfired big time. You know, try, you know, and not just at the time. <laughs> you know, because by that point, also, she's killed herself, so to speak, and you know, it, now she can't be herself again. Yeah, Edith is no more. I, yeah. If she, even if she tries to come clean, she still murdered her sister. Yeah. And there's no getting past that. And then there's that great moment where finally she breaks. She tries to break back into Edith to. Uh, um, to talk to um, uh, Jim, uh, the Carl Malden character. Yeah. And, and Carl Malden's like, I knew Edith. She was a wonderful person. She wouldn't hurt a fly. Yeah, something like that. And, and like, it's just like, oh. oh. Get you. Yeah. <laughs> and, I think that, and, yet the, and yet there was one character who did know all along. Yeah, but it didn't really make much of a that was one of those. That was one of those twists that was just like it wasn't set up. Man. But again, it was didn't really make a difference. It, uh, I, but I kind of forgot about that character. That's I, the I thing. remember that guy because his oh, the, yeah? the actor who played that guy was in an episode of The Twilight Zone. He really? played a butler too. He, the chauffeur. Yeah, no, is not the... the chauffeur. The chauffeur is the guy who drives the car. Oh, the butler is the guy who works in the house. Oh, his name is Cyril Delaventi. And let me see if I can look up this up. Ep- what, what was the episode? The episode was something about a piano, like this player piano, where if you played different roles, that it it, it let out certain people. A piano in the house. Yeah. And he was a butler in that. Yeah. Oh, okay. He has a very distinct face. He's he's kind of wrinkly, but you know. He, oh yeah, yeah. He has a great movie face. He he has a great butler face. Yes. <laughs> but so, he, but uh, uh, and I think kind of that's why they put that court scene scene at the end because so you could see everybody again the plot is pretty much over yeah we've resolved all the the plot threads yeah every character's arc has been resolved but they still throw in the court scene and the sentencing and but then jim meets her again yeah that's the very last scene of the movie taken to prison and he asks her is what you said about being edith true and then we do get that one scene where you can where it's like and she takes the i mean, there's nothing she can gain anymore no i everything has gone too far but eventually she just leaves that one thing and she says no i'm not edith you, you were right about her and she just leaves him with that 
And, you know, and it makes me think, do, uh, how much do we feel for Edith as a character? Yeah, that, I felt a little mixed about that because I know it's like I should have felt more for her. I feel like because that comes after that court scene, I feel like the movie may have been trying a little too hard to make me feel for her. Maybe. When, you know, I still had to think about, you, you, you killed your sister to take her part. Although we do find out that not only was her sister a terrible person, oh, her sister was a but terrible she person. did horrible things. Yeah. I mean, uh, let's think, but does about, that excuse let's think that? about everything that Margaret does uh, throughout her life. Oh, yeah. She steals the man that her sister loved yeah. by claiming to be pregnant with his child, meaning she had slept with him, yeah. basically, and faked the whole child thing, which was eventually not true, and basically sponged off of him for 20 years yeah. and murdered him mm. with her lover. Do you know what I think was the thing with the movie? I don't know if I got enough a sense of that from Margaret in the early scenes. Well, you get you don't the really, you don't really, she's a terrible person. You get the sense that she's not a good person, like, but you don't really get to see enough of her. You find out all these things about her after the fact. I think they're consistent, though. No, I mean, no, no, they're consistent. We couldn't know all those things beforehand because Edith has, hasn't found those things out. No. I mean, Edith's the one who we identify with. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I think we identify with her pretty well. We sympathize with her a little bit. I mean, yeah. Everything's been taken from her, and she's living this kind of, not terrible life, but a kind of crappy life. Yeah. Uh, and so then I, she decides to do the only thing she knows that seems kind of just to her. I don't hate but, I, I don't hate Edith by the end of the movie. I, I understand where her character is coming from. And I, I could feel a little sympathy for her, but not. I don't know if I felt it as much as the filmmakers, I think, wanted me to feel. Maybe. If that makes sense. And, and ultimately, at the end, we, we kind of have to admit that e Edith murdered her sister in cold blood. Yes. In order to get her fortune. Yes. So... I mean, so I mean, Edith was... She was out to get all that money and try to run away and go to Europe and all that. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I think that there... I think I would have enjoyed it more if it had even gone even... It, had, it went a long way into the pulp territory, and then near the end, it tried to, you know then spin the wheels a little bit. Mm. Now, again, I'm not saying it's a, a totally bad thing. It's just what the movie did. Yeah. And ultimately, it's still a good movie. Um, it's just, it'll never, it'll never be... It knew what it was trying to be, for the most part. It has shades of vertigo in it. A little bit. I mean, this is pre-vertigo, I assume. Yeah, definitely. No, 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 1964. Which... But although it was written before Vertigo, oh yeah, there so we that's go. that's the funny thing. I have a think about like the, the side plots. We have there, a detective. There, there is a little bit is... of a Hitchcockian element to the movie. Yeah, but this is like uh, if you look at it from a different angle. Yeah, where if you looked at Vertigo from uh, Madeline's point of view, it's a little closer to that. It's a little. It's not an exact match, but it's, you know, it's you a hit, it's things. it's Vertigo without like the technical attention to detail. All right, that's that's good. That's pretty good. But it still has an interesting script. Yeah, and you know you have a detective who's yes. interested in this woman who, right. who Eddie becomes fascinated it's, with another woman who looks just like her. It's the Vertigo story from her point of view. That's what I just said. Well, no, 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 no. But but all the way through though. Whereas in Vertigo they have it a little bit. I, I know we talked about this before, but well, uh, we talked about it at length. Yeah, sort of. Well, uh, both of us did separately, but um, but I mean that like. 
in Vertigo, yeah, it's mostly from Scotty's point of view up until near the end where it kind of gets into her point of view, but it's still... Yeah, the, the, the final the final acts of Vertigo are basically, we switch. A little bit, yeah, we switch to her point of view when, when she's uh, now Judy. Yeah, I, I think that's almost total because we know about Scotty, we know what he's thinking because of what we've seen I, with him, but we identify with Judy because we know what she knows. Yes. Uh, so... Hey, if you want to hear more about that, <laughs> listen to our final uh, episodes in that last year. Some funny how we have that connective thread. That was unintentional. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, because I was expecting a little bit more of like, because uh, you know, I hadn't I hadn't seen Dead Ringers in a while. I mean, right. that one is where there were doctors. I think. Yes. Yeah, Jeremy Irons were doctors. Um, so I would just close with saying that if, if you like Betty Davis, then you should definitely see this movie. If it's, you like a good thriller, this will definitely do it for you. That too. If you, I, it's, yeah. It, it's directed by, a, uh, an old Hollywood star starring a Hollywood star trying, and it's a very interesting story with a decent script. You yeah. can't, uh, there are much worse things you can do that, than watch Dead Ringers. I think this is a really worthwhile film to see. Yeah. The, Your wife did a good job. Yeah. Uh, the, the tagline, by the way, is <coughs> mirror, mirror on the wall. Now who's the fairest twin of all? That's not campy at all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, yeah. Now I will say, even though, again, there are a lot of twists and turns in this movie, not as campy as Baby Jane. Definitely not. No. Um, so yeah, tune in next month where Andrew and I are going to watch uh, another film that neither of us have ever heard of before. So stay tuned for <laughs> What the Devil Is That? Part 2. Yeah. Um, or I should say it more like, What the Devil Is That? Or something. Uh, what the Devil Is That? What the Devil Is That? I what's, don't know. What's all this then? What's all, what's all this? <laughs> that would have been a good title. What's oh, all this that's, then? That's, uh... No. Right. no, 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 we've we come too far. We already chose the title, we'll put that one All in the right. and uh, And uh, stay tuned as we continue our podcast.